0: Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to episode two of the Real Joey Boats Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Joey Barrow. I am a two-time brain cancer survivor, a Navy veteran, a family man, and overall, just a kick-ass dude. Today, I'm going to get into uh, a little bit of a touchy subject for some of us, and and, well, kind of for me, because I've been through it. And uh, I know some of you have personally been through this as well, and family members and friends and other loved ones who have been through what we're going to cover today. And what we're going to cover today is cancer. Uh, the fact that what I had, how it affected me, and all of that. So like I said, I know it's affected some of you guys and gals. I, I know that you've been through it. So yeah, we're, we're going to get a little emotional today. We're going to get, we're going to hit this touchy subject. It might be a little raw, but it's okay. And that, you know, we're going to fight through it just like we fight through everything else, right? So get ready, buckle up buttercup, because here we go. So like I said before, welcome back to the Real Joy Boats podcast. And let's get right into the nitty gritty folks. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about cancer. So uh, let's start in 2005 when I was diagnosed. Okay. When I was diagnosed, With cancer. Let's start leading up to that day. And leading up to that day was probably maybe a couple or several months of, uh, you know, doctor visits and trying to figure out what was going on with me because my personality was different. Uh, Just everything in general was different. Most folks that know me know that I show up to things early. Uh, that's on time, right? That's how I see on time is showing up early and staying late and doing the job. So uh, I did that. I did that. I started doing that in the Navy and I was taught well, so I was doing that. But with, I would say when cancer started, you know, before I even knew what it really was, things were changing. Like I wasn't showing up early or on time for things or not showing up at all because I was forgetting them. Um, let me, uh, okay, pause for a minute, let me uh, apologize to you guys, <laughs> I am sick uh, sinuses, head cold, whatever, uh, so I apologize firsthand if I do a little sniffles or some snorting or some coughing or whatever, uh, I will try to curtail that as much as I can uh, but I can't make any guarantees, so there's that, um, alright let's get back to it, so yeah, 2000, early you know what, late 2004 late 2004, all this stuff was building up I was showing up for things late not showing up at all, my personality was changing um, which was very detrimental to myself and to my friendships with people Um, I wouldn't say it was very detrimental to my marriage because she wasn't any faithful anyways so it's not like it mattered (laughs) but hey man there was something truly wrong and uh, you know, everybody saw it so I decided that hey I'm gonna to get to the doctor and I'm going to uh, see what's going on and I told him hey I was having headaches um, you know just things felt different and all weird up there I couldn't exactly explain it but uh, t- it, what you know was weird is they told me I had migraines they're like <clears throat> you didn't have migraines dude okay uh, sure they gave me some Fiora set and sent me home that night migraines, migraines, really? I mean, that was, that was kind of like, what do you mean They got migraines? I mean, uh, so I took the fewer set thinking, okay, maybe that's just it. Maybe I'm just stressed out. Maybe I got migraines. Maybe things are going on. I'm starting to change, whatever. I, it didn't help one damn bit The you know, the fewer set was just like the placebo, even knowing the placebo wasn't going to do anything. So it didn't, if that makes any sense. I don't think that makes much sense to me. But like I said, it didn't do a damn thing. So, uh they told me if it doesn't do anything, just come back the next morning and uh, you know, we'll we'll see, we'll go from there. Uh yeah, so I went back the next morning and told them they took this fuel set, uh, like you said, it didn't do a damn thing. Uh I still got these weird headaches. It just feel weird. Um yeah. Excuse me. Like <laughs> I'm sick man so bear with me here like yeah didn't do a damn thing so they decided to run some tests they ran a couple cat scans and after those couple cat scans they're like hey we we need to do a couple more uh are you okay with this yeah I was probably at that hospital from like seven o'clock in the morning to you know almost seven o'clock at night I was there all day because after those CAT scans, they did several MRIs. They did several MRIs dry. They did several MRIs with contrast eye. And they're like, hey, we see some like what look like calcified lesions on your brain inside your cerebellum. Um, we, we think this might be a tumor, but we need to get inside your brain to take a look. So we kind of need to do an exploratory surgery, but we have the spot where we want to get in. We know where we need to go. Um, so yeah, we would like to schedule this surgery. And before I think I left the hospital today, I, that day, um, I didn't have the surgery scheduled, but I did talk to a bunch of oncologists. I did talk to uh, some neurosurgeons. And within a week, I had this, the surgery date scheduled. And basically I went to, uh, you know, went home. I told my friends, I told my family, I told my command, I checked out of my command and was told to check into that hospital and prepare myself for surgery that I was given a 50 to 50 odds of even surviving the operation itself. So I'm like, Dan, this is a serious ass operation. This is, this is, this isn't a joke. Uh, So like I I prepared myself, I did my will, I did my DNR and I, and I I did my will, I was 21, what did I have to put in my will besides like, I want this person to take care of my dog and you can have my chair or something, I didn't know really what a will was. So yeah, after that was all done and I got prepped, I was going in for the surgery and it was probably like a 25 to 30 minute drive from my house in Virginia Beach to Naval Medical Center, Portsmouth, Virginia, and that, what I thought, I prepped myself to be my last, like, drive on the face of the earth, like, in a car, like, I drove myself, and, you know, that, because I was like, this is gonna be my last drive on the face of the earth, I had to prep myself, and I really didn't have time to, like, go out and, and, and live and do things. I had to get my ass into surgery. Uh, so I did. So I got into that surgery. I, you know, it was an 18 and a half hour operation, 18 and a half hours. Think about it. Think about that is more than a full day for some people. The surgery probably started around 7 30 in the morning. And I don't remember when it ended, obviously, um, but I know that during the surgery I had at least seven or more blood transfusions and I, um, let's see what, I, oh yeah, I had a bunch of strokes. I had a bunch, of, I had a couple mild and a bunch of minor mini strokes, um, that they actually didn't even know about until I would say at least two years Later, I want to say it's two years, could be wrong. I mean, sometimes this memory is a little fuzzy, you know. Um, but yeah, dude, that was what well, I looked at that when I was told about that later on down the road about the strokes. Like, my jaw kind of lore, like, how the fuck am I alive right now? Somebody wanted me here to finish something or to, you know, do something really important, so um. Yeah, but like I said, we're going to get to that in future episodes. This one's about cancer so far. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. So, yeah, um, 18 and a half hours later, I was out of the surgery. Everything was successful, everything went great. Um, you know, I was probably in the ICU for less than a week. Uh, I rebounded really quickly and I was put in a regular patient care room. And, uh, You know, I started, I was on my feet. I wasn't, you know, sitting down. I was trying to be active Um, because basically you're starting from square one after they get in that part of your brain, your cerebellum. And um, yeah, but basically here's what I was told after the surgery, after I was coherent enough to understand what they were talking about. And basically it was the neurosurgeons looking at me saying, hey man, uh, we got the tumor, well, we got 90% of the tumor. The rest of it's sitting on your brain stem, and we don't want to cut that because we don't want to cut the brain stem because that'll kill you. Uh, it was about I, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. And, you know, you know, you don't think that's very big, but like I said, let's snip off your fingernail and stick it in your brain and see how that works out for you. So, yeah, just think that little tiny tumor. Was causing so much issues, just just enough to let me know that something was wrong with my body. That's that's incredible. That's that blows my mind. And so when they resected the tumor, they sent the cells off to five different places, including the American the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, and. Um, I believe it was somewhere in Boston. There's an Ivy League University, Harvard. Uh, but all these places, they came back with these different results. So they all came back with like two known cells, which is polycytic astrocytoma and oligodendroglioma. But the, the rest of the, the results were unknown. Like there was no name for these cells that they saw. There, there wasn't. There was just, we don't know what these are. So they took these cells and they took whatever they could, of the tumor, the specimen, and they blasted it with radiation. They blasted it with chemotherapy drugs and it resisted those completely. So that wasn't an option for me. And basically I was told my only options to do this was to live a healthy life, be active, eat clean, and um, take care of myself. So... That's, that's the only options I had. So, you know, from there, I started I started from ground zero. I started rebuilding my life and, uh, in that hospital room. I started rebuilding my life in that hospital room, piece by piece, brick by brick, so to say. So, I, I started from there. You know, I was told that the polycytic astrocytoma was normally found in adolescents. So they have no idea, like, if I had it for a while or it grew, but it was very, very aggressive and it was at a stage four level. The oligodentugluma wasn't at aggressive and it was at a lower grade. So, you know, it just that baffled them, it baffled all those doctors and all those scientists as much as it baffled me. So, you know, I was told at that point, like, look we don't know what the, what these other cells are. We want you to go up to the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, slash the National Cancer Institute, and see some of the oncologists up there, and um, they're going to put you into a case study, and they're going to study your tumor. They're going to study your, your progression or your regression. They're going to study all this stuff for the rest of your life, and I was like, okay, cool, so... I think it was like a week later, I was on my way up there, and got it checked out, and basically, uh, at that point, I was going once a month, I was getting MRIs done, slash brain scans, blood work, Uh, I was doing vestibular tests, and just overall, seeing how my life is. Excuse me, I apologize. Um, So yeah. There, there was that, and they have a journal on me that is probably like as thick as a college textbook. I mean, it is big, if not bigger. So there's that. I get my claim to fame as I have my own medical journal <laughs> written about me. I mean, my records alone that they send me when I request them are huge. It's a huge stack. But I digress. You know, I was going there and still am going there. At that point, they it started progressing from every month to every four months, going every four months, to going every six months. And yeah, so that probably is like the best health care, you know, from a college oncologist that I could receive. Like, you know, it's all funded through Congress. I'm still in I'm still in a study. I'm still in what they call the natural history study because I've been going so long, but it's still the same. Every, you know, they tell me the results. They they look at the tumor. They look at, you know, the different mutations and they study all this stuff. So it's pretty incredible, and it helps basically aid in brain cancer research and brain tumor research um, about how we can prevent this stuff, um, how to cure it, you know, stuff like that. So I am doing a lot more good by going up there if I opted out of the study. So, yeah, in 2005, after after the surgery, things, things were progressing fine. I was getting better. I was getting better. I was able to drive again on my own. Come November 2005, I checked out of the U.S. Navy uh, with an honorable discharge back into civilian life, came back to Cincinnati, Ohio. So, you know, I still had cancer at this point because remember 10% of it's still in there but not knowing what it was going to do so I just had to attend all my medical appointments and like try to keep an eye on myself and fight with this cancer all in my early 20s all you know and I got out uh, is you know newly separated so I was a newly single guy again new single man again and you know trying to balance all that trying to find somebody to date and then you know, when they, you know how hard it is to date somebody and they'd be like, well, um, tell me about yourself. Oh, well, I got cancer. And you know, that's a, not many dates went well for me. Cause I, there's that, you know, that scared off a lot of gals, but that's fine. You know? Um, so yeah, for, for four years, uh, I, I, I had cancer, like, I was in my twenties. I, I tried to be normal. I tried to be like the rest of my buddies who were enjoying their twenties. Most of them were going out drinking and partying and chasing, chasing girls and hooking up and you know doing all that ridiculousness that a twenty-something-year-old guy should do. And that didn't really work out for me. so all that stuff it created a lot of animosity with my friends, with my family. And loved ones and, you know, I didn't care. I was just trying to live my life. Uh, because, well, they they probably thought that, hey, you're supposed to be doing this because you have cancer, not going out and being dumb. Well, you know, I did things how I wanted to do them. And I, I don't regret any of it. But if I could go back, I definitely would change some of it. Uh, but, yeah, for four years, you know, and every four months, I'm going... To the National Cancer Institute and, you know, going in and out of jobs all because of this cancer. This cancer, you know, whether it was affecting me or not, was affecting me because it ran my life. Every single aspect of my life from my personal life to trying to date, trying to hold a job so I could have extra money to having friends and relationships. Everything. Everything. It just was this monster that just ran every aspect of my life unforgivingly at times. Just no remorse. And so I got tired. I got tired of this this (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, monster running my life. So I fought back. So I finally decided to fight and get into the game where I was worrying about my health more than worrying about what Friday night was going to bring. So I did that. I concentrated on eating clean, uh, got back into gyms and started working out and started running and, you know, just, just trying to live a decent life. Um, you know, all throughout the next couple years before in 2009. So before 2009 and between like 2006, I mean, to give you a more of an example of how the beast ran my life, it drove me to being homeless because it just, you know, everything going on in my life that I'm going to, it was, that was cancer, just controlling it. Just me trying to live by it. And the reason it led me to homelessness is just because, you know, I was living my life how I wanted to live it. And... You know, cancer and everybody else wanted me to live it this way, and I wasn't. So it created a ton of animosity, ton of toxicity, and that drove me to being homeless. And, you know, I'm not going to get into details of that. Not right now, not in this episode, uh, but maybe down the road. Uh, so, hey, but here comes 2009. Boom. It is early 2009, January 2009. I went to the National Cancer Institute for just for my regular checkup. So it was every six months at this point. And I was, I just started in every six months and they kind of looked at me and said, you know, in your brain scan, which I had the night before they looked at it and said, we don't see any traces of the tumor anywhere in your cerebellum. It's gone. Like there's nothing there, dude. Like so <clears throat> clinically you are cancer free. Wh- what? What do you what do you mean? You're cancer free. Hearing those words um I didn't cry. I, I didn't like collapse to my knees. I just let out a huge sigh. Like I mean, I don't gotta fight anymore. I don't. I don't have to put my Dukes up against this big fucking animal cancer and just continue to kick its ass daily. I don't have to do that anymore. I didn't have to, but that was part of life. Now as a fighter, Uh, there was no. There was no like not fighting things, and um, yeah. So. It is it's amazing. It was one of the most amazing news that I've ever received in my life. And, you know, I'm still, I'm only 37. I'm young. I got a lot of life to live. So in 2009, when I was deemed cancer-free, I finally told the U.S. Navy because I was only on a temporary disabled retirement list, a TDRL list. I was only on that. So basically I was, like, put on the bench, so to say, so I could heal and get better. And then I decided, why look for a civilian job here, which, you know, they're, they're not just few and far between the, shit, I could go to McDonald's and flip some burgers. I didn't want to do that, but, uh, so I decided to try to go back in. Now I was kinda of out of shape, obviously, by standards of the US military, um, you know, by civilian word standards, I was in great shape but I was not in the shape to be going back in the military. So I decided <clears throat> to cut weight and drop a bunch of fat and get back into shape so I could put the uniform on again. And you know, so I did that. I was starting to do that and you know what? What better way to get skin, get back into shape and look good, let's go work on riverboats. Let's go work on coal barges, you know? And remember, remember at this point, I'm cancer free. But I'm still going to the National Institute of Health every six months. Because I'm still in this study for the rest of my life. So it's still pretty hard to hold down a decent job. But I had a few jobs that were pretty understanding about it. Uh, once I sat down told them the story, some of them actually kind of didn't want to see some paperwork. Uh, but you made it, we made it work nonetheless, right? So let's fast forward to 2013. Um, I'm working this job, I'm doing good, Uh, you know, uh, I'm a a single fella at this point, you know, got nothing to worry about but myself and my job, and on one of my routine appointments up at the National Cancer Institute, I was told that the cancer had returned, that the tumors are, the tumor is back. It's almost roughly in the same area, this is not sitting on your brain stem this time, um, but... Still, we need to get this this surgery scheduled, and we need to uh, get you you, uh, on the road to health, you know, good health. So, let's do it. Let's schedule the surgery. Uh, This time, I was told the survival odds was like 80%. So, hey, hey, man, 80% is a whole lot better than 50%, a whole lot. So, I was... I was I was happy about that. I was not reluctant at all. Got in there, and the surgery itself was only about three and a half hours. I had uh, probably see three to four transfusions this time, so not so many. Um, but they got out uh, the tumor. They got it out, and it looked like a little bit of polycytic astrocytoma and oligodendroglioma like it has returned and they were both very low grade, uh, grade one and they got everything at that point. So, you know, within three months I was told you're cancer free again. Um, You nothing to worry about. So, basically the way I put it as I looked it in the face and I said, fuck you cancer. You're not running my life. I'm not giving you four years of my life again. And, you know, if you think that's silly, then whatever, because it wasn't silly. I just wasn't giving that monster four years of my life again. I wasn't doing that. So it barely got three and a half hours or, well, if you look at it that way, but it only got like a couple of weeks. It didn't get four years. And, you know, uh, so that was it. That was my bouts with cancer, you know. Uh, most of all of my 20s was, was cancer. And you think about it, like most of my 20s was cancer. So at least what, five years, four years, whatever it was, it was cancer. And if it wasn't because I had cancer, it was because I was going to those appointments. Uh, Not many people in their 20s or even their 30s are going to the National Cancer Institute. And going through that stuff and going through appointments, Most of, well, shit, all of my friends and all of my family had jobs, had steady relationships, had money. Uh, They didn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. So it was hard for me to watch and hard for, well, it felt hard for me to get people to understand like, hey man, I don't have a normal life. This is my life. You know, I'm better off going up there and being broke and being healthy that I am having a shit ton of money and not knowing what's going on inside my brain, not knowing whether the cancer's coming back or not coming back. Um, so yeah, (laughs) life is, life has been definite journey and not one of those journeys where you're like self discovery and all this stuff. Like, no, one of these wild fucking rides, you're half of it's bought on the seat of your pants. I'm winging it. Like, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I'm just trying to stay healthy. <laughs> I'm trying to stay cancer-free. And hopefully I am right now uh, because I haven't been back to the National Cancer treatment in a while because of the COVID bullshit. And yes, no, I don't think it's fake at all. I don't, I don't, but I definitely am tired of this bullshit just like everybody else. But that's a different story. Um, yeah. That was my life. That was my life from 2005 in between 2013. Cancer. It has run my life even when it's not here. Even after I've like kicked its ass twice and um, basically beat it in submission or beat it to death, you know, the beast is still running my life. It is still dictating everything that I do because I have to make sure then it doesn't come back and doesn't try to beat me. So if you know anybody that's had cancer or has cancer, you know, that it is a huge aspect of their life and it has probably transformed them and made them into a completely different person because I know it did me. Uh, It's wild. All right. You know, I am approaching a 30 minute mark. I don't want to take too much of your time, I'm kind of running out of things to say anyways, but, uh, that is episode two, ladies and gentlemen, we touched cancer and I know it's a touchy subject. You know, there's probably somebody in your life that has it or somebody maybe that has, uh, died. The beast took them. They didn't beat it. It beat them. And if they did, uh, if it did, if that's what happened, uh, I'm so sorry. You know, it, it is. A, it is a beast. It is a monster, and it takes, and it takes, and it takes, and it takes. But you got to fight. You got to fight, and you have to fight. You not give up. You don't give in, because the moment you do, the moment you stop, the moment you stop, the rest is the moment the beast takes over and wins and kills you. Cancer has no remorse. Cancer has no qualms about ending your fucking life. You know, it, that's how bad it is. And that's why w- what we need to do is we need to do research. We need to allocate funds and we need to do what we need to do to find a cure. You know, so whatever your belief in all that stuff is, fine. I don't care. But we just need to eradicate cancer. It is a horrible disease and it runs people's lives. You know? Um, yeah. Saying, hey, I wanted to get serious on you because that's what this is. We get serious... We'll talk about the shit that's deep. We'll talk about the shit that's hard to talk about, and we're gonna cover it. So that's all I got for you folks today, and uh, I can't I can't wait to uh, release another awesome episode of the Real Joey Boats podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and I hope you have a wonderful week. See you guys later. Peace out.